the title of my message today is The Faith Relationship. You know, faith is not just an act. Faith isn't just a mental understanding. Faith isn't just the gathering of knowledge and information. Faith is a relationship. If, if it stops becoming relational, it's become religious. We talked about that last week. You know, I believe this, that, uh, you know, relationships here on earth are reflective of our relationship with God. We're made in God's image, and God talks about himself as a groom and having a bride. Israel was God, the Father's bride. The body of Christ is Jesus' bride. And so we have this relationship, and, you know, men, men desire different things than women desire in a relationship. Men want to be honored. How many of you men, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, when, when a woman talks about love, and I kind of understand it, but I, I don't know that a lot of men can even really wrap their head around wanting to be loved. They just want to be respected and honored. Is that pretty much true, guys? Raise your hand if you get a witness this morning. Okay, most of the guys. Are, all right, they, there's two hands up there. And, and so here's the thing. Men want to be honored and respected. Women want to be cherished and loved. And uh, thank you for your enthusiasm on that. And so <laughs> maybe they don't want to be. I don't know. So I don't know. Uh, seriously, but God has, God has a, God needs and desires for us to trust him. That's what God wants from us. God doesn't need a provider. <laughs> He's only the creator of the universe, right? God doesn't need a provider. God doesn't need an upholder. He doesn't need an advocate. He doesn't need an intercessor. He doesn't need a strengthener. He doesn't need a standby. He doesn't need a comforter. He doesn't need a counselor. He doesn't need a guy. He doesn't need all those things that he is to us. Can I get an amen? But what he does need, what he does desire, and what he wants from us in this relationship, without faith, it's impossible to, everybody say it, please God. How many of you want to please God today? Pleasing God is very important. They that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Believing that he's a rewarder pleases him. See, and... We naturally seek reward. You know, we naturally want our parents' approval and affirmation when we're growing up. We naturally want our boss's approval and affirmation. We naturally want to please, and, and we naturally want to be reward. We want a reward. We want to please, and we want to be rewarded. How many of you know that's just natural building to us? We want to please, and we want to be rewarded. Anybody want to please and be rewarded? I think that's very natural. I think that's very normal. I think that's very commonplace among mankind. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without faith, you can't be rewarded. You've you got to diligent. Faith takes diligent seeking of God. You, you can't just be casual about faith. You can't just be casual once you get married about your relationship. You, you know, it, it, the marriage, that, that's going to a whole other level. You can't just be casual. I mean, you can't just be off with other, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend type thing. You can't be just off hanging out with the guys all the time. It, it, everything needs to change at that point. It stops being casual. It has to get serious. Amen. Get at least two amens this morning. So thank you. I love to tease y'all. So don't, don't get mad at me when I do that. Faith works. And so I'm going to review just the last couple of weeks. We talked about how does faith work. We talked about how when God created the universe, when God created the world, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and everything was without form and void. And then God said, let there be light, and there's light. And so the spirit of faith, how many of you know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, 4 and 13 
that they believed and therefore they spoke, and we believe, therefore we speak. And that's, and that's we having the same spirit of faith. There's a spirit of faith. That was the spirit of faith that hovered above the waters. And then God spoke the word. That was the word of faith. You know, in Romans 10, 8 and 10, it says, what is it? The word is nigh, that even in their mouth and in their heart, that is the word of faith that we preach. That thou shalt confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. And so there is a word of faith, and God speaks the word of faith. And then in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, we see that it's the God kind of faith. Mark eleven twenty two 22, it says, have faith in God. Some translations have, same, have the same faith in God's word that he has in it. One translation says, have the God kind of faith. And so we can see that there is a God kind of faith. God believes his words when he says them. Because there are no greater words of veracity and, and no greater words of, uh, that you can trust in greater than his own words. So if anybody believes in God's word, God has 100% total belief in his own words. And the Bible says that's the type of faith we should have in his words. And so that's the God kind of faith in his words, not it. Now, we need to make our words his words because then they become believable. How do you make your own words believable? By exchanging them for God's words. Somebody say amen. And that's why in Mark eleven twenty three 23, it says, Verily I say unto you, whoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast on the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. But believe that those things which he saith. But believe that, the, that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have. Everybody say it with me. He shall have whatsoever he saith. But you, you got to be saying God's words because the verse right before that says, have the same kind of faith that God has in his word. So you can't just make stuff up. All the promises of God are yes and amen, not all your imaginations. The promises of God are yes and so be it. And then you make your words what the promises say. You conform yourself to the promises. You'll start wanting the promises. You'll start believing the promises. You'll start living in the promises instead of your own way of living. That's a faith life. That's a conformed life. That, that's a transformed life. That's a laid down life. That's a faith life. That is when you have the spirit of faith and the word of faith having the God, and it creates the God kind of faith. Somebody say amen. So we talked about that two weeks ago. Last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about roadblocks to faith. We talked about when there's a storm and trees have fallen down and there's big limbs in the road, you can't go through until you move the roadblock. And so we said that the parable of the sower is the three roadblocks to faith. The three things that tries to abort the word in your heart so it never really gets received and then therefore believed. And so you can see that here it talked about how Satan comes to steal the word. So the demonic realm wants to steal the word. The demonic realm is against our faith. And then it says when persecution arises for the word's sake and we get offended, that's your flesh. Your flesh gets a plan. It says, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That's when you're walking in the Spirit, and you're loving God and his word. You don't get offended. You choose not to. Oh, you might feel offended, but it's just like forgiveness. You don't feel like forgiving, but you do it anyway. You, don't, you feel offended, but you don't act on it anyway. Because you override your flesh with your spirit man. And get your body to gang up with it. And so, see, then your flesh, it says the word arises, persecution arises. And then you get offended and then the word goes away. And then the last one is the world is against your faith. So number one, the devil's against your faith. 
Number two, your flesh works against your faith. Number three, the world, because it says that it's planted on thorny ground, and then it starts to come up, and the cares of other things, and the, and the riches of this world, and the lust of other things, and all these things comes into play, and it chokes out the word. So three things that are roadblocks to your faith. It is Satan, it is your flesh, and it is the world. But then there are those who are good ground, 30, 60, 100-fold, who believe and they receive. They're intentional. You have to intentionally choose to be good ground. How many will choose to be good ground this morning? It's really the parable of the four soil types. And three-fourths of the soil is not good. So you're a remnant, you're one-fourth, and you're choosing to be good soil when you are good ground producing 3,600-fold. Somebody say amen. Amen. Last week we talked about head, head faith, excuse me, uh, heart faith versus head religion. We say there's a lot of people that walk in religiosity, and, and they walk in mental ascent. Moody said this, he says, the greatest enemy of true faith is mental ascent. Religion does not operate... From the heart, it operates with the head. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, it says in Romans 10.10. You don't believe with your head, you mentally assent with your head. The demons in hell believe with their head, but they never obeyed from the heart. So we look in Romans and it talks about obeying from the heart. You don't obey. I'll, I'll be real honest with you. My head fights me many times. My head will fight my heart. Anybody have that happen? My, my, my head says that. No, we can't. That, that, there's no way that's going to happen. And my heart keeps telling me, yeah, God's going to do something. It is going to happen. See, you, you, got, you got to put your head in its place. The heart is, is a greater source of information than just the head. You see, the heart transcends and is uh, transcendent. To the intellect, the, the spiritual, the spirit man can receive from God and from all the five senses of the intellect. The intellect can only receive from the five senses. The intellect is 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 uh, sense knowledge. I don't know how else to say it. It's sensory based knowledge. It's 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 more the brain and the mind, and that's fine. But how about uh, having a brain and your mind, and then also adding to that the mind of God? Because the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit, man. And so your spirit has access to your brain and, and everything it can understand. Yeah, your spirit, your, your mind has all that. But then you tap into the mind of God through your spirit, man. And then you go into a whole nother arena. You have everything that the intellect has to offer and a whole lot more. Somebody say amen. So that's where we want to live. So that's what we, we talked about. We don't want to live in head religion. We want to get into heart uh, relationship with God. So let's talk about that relationship. Today, the message is the faith relationship. Turn with me to Hebrews 10 and 22, and we're going to go with our keynote verse for today, and we're going to read there in Hebrews 10 and verse 22. So you can turn there or just listen if you want. And it says, let us draw near. Everybody say, draw near. That's something we have to do. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So this isn't just let us get our thinking right so we can think and act right. No, and not even let us get our heart right. This goes beyond that. This gets beyond getting your thinking right, which is renewing your mind. 
uh, and, and, get, and getting your heart right, which is being submitted to God. But now it tells us we have to draw near to God. We, we have to become very relational now. It isn't just now we become, uh, you know, informational and, and, and have understanding. Now we actually, now another person is involved, the Lord, and you're drawing near to him. It isn't just understanding him. It isn't just believing him. Now it's drawing near to him. Draw near unto God and he will what? Draw near unto you, it says in James. So faith causes God to draw near to you because real faith draws near to God. And so let's read that again. And it says, let us draw near with a true heart, not a feigned heart. Not, not for the wrong purposes, not, not with selfishness or, or uh, all kinds of weird motives, not religious motives, but let's draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You know, it says Abraham was strong in faith. How many of you know old Abraham over there in Romans 4, 17 through 19? It says that he was not weak in faith, but he was strong in faith. And it says that he considered not his own body being dead and Sarah's womb being dead, but believed those things and hoped against hope. Called those th- God called those things that be not as though they were, and he got his mouth doing the same thing. He started talking like God about the situation. He started lining up and saying what God says about it. And his dreams and, and promises came true in his life. I, thought, I think that's amazing. So it says, with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure bodies. So, so you, need, you need to start having a clean life and, and cleaning up your, your uh, keeping your body pure and, and, and drawing nigh to God, but drawing away from the world. It says, come out and be ye separate. Come out from among them, be ye separate, and I'll be your God and you shall be my people. So, and that's a coming out. You know, there's a drawing near to him and to draw near to him, you're going to have to come out of the world. You know, a lot of Christians want to stay worldly today. And you say, oh, grace will cover it. Well, you know, that, that, that's so deceptive. And, and, you know, it, grace does cover things, but not when your attitude is presumptive on grace. Let's not be presumptive with grace. Let's use it the way it was meant to be used. And so, you know, you have to come out of something to draw near to something. They had to come out of Egypt to draw near to the promised land. You're going to have to come out of sin to, to be uh, saved and, and, and filled with the Holy Ghost because, uh, there, you know, your spirit has to be cleansed before the Holy Spirit can come in and be sealed and cohabitate in your spirit with you. So there are some things that we have to do relationally. And if we draw near to God, uh, he will draw near to us. Amen. Faith is very personal with God. In all relationships, there's levels of there's levels of relationship and there's levels of reciprocity. Reciprocity is a word that's very pertinent for Scripture because in covenant, there's reciprocity. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. That's called reciprocity. And so we need to learn uh, that God, you know, he loved us. In Revelation, you know, there's different levels. And and he said, don't be, uh, you know, lukewarm. You, You know, either be cold or hot. But be little, well, right there is three different levels. Everybody say three different levels. There's cold, there's hot, and there's lukewarm. How many of you know when, when, before you got married, you were hot for your spouse? But if you're not careful, it'll grow lukewarm. And some of you said, no, it's even gotten cold. 
But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. That's a choice. That's a choice. There are levels of relationship. And you can either choose to, to just let it grow cold or even become lukewarm, which is really worse, because at least if you're cold, you know you need to be fixed. And you, need to, and you need to get it right again. If you're lukewarm, you're living on a placebo, and you think that maybe things are still okay when they're really not. You're self-deceived. And so we, we really need to, to realize that there are levels with the Lord that he wants us. And there's levels of faith, because this faith is this trust. This faith is drawing near to him in full assurance of faith. Faith is really drawing near to him with a pure heart, with full assurance of faith. That's what faith really is. Did you know there's many different levels of faith? Romans 4.19, it says, be not weak in faith. Matthew 8.26, it says, oh, ye of little faith, when the, when the disciples were afraid, when the storm came up. Matthew 15.28, he said uh, to the woman who, who said to him, even the dogs get to eat off the crumbs of the table after, you know, they, they kind of marginalized her. They kind of turned her away and said, leave the master alone, lady. You're not part of this covenant. And uh, suddenly she says, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat from the table. And Jesus says, well, you know, you just won't give up. Yeah. And in the Greek, he says, mega is your faith. Right. See, you know, we just see great is your faith. But, but, you know, you go back into the Greek language, he said that woman's faith was mega. Right. This, you know, the centurion who was also not part of the covenant of God and faithed his way into it. Just like, the Phoenician, just like this woman who was not part of the covenants of God, and they told her so. They even called her a dog. She faithed her way into the covenant. Like all of us in the New Testament, us Gentiles get to faith our way into the covenant. Somebody say amen. And he said, I've never seen so great a faith as you, Mr. Centurion. I said I'd come heal, and you said, no, you don't have to come heal him. Only speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. That's almost like Genesis 1. Just speak the word, and it'll happen. This guy had the spirit of faith. This guy was getting a hold of the word of faith. This guy understood the God kind of faith. He said, speak the word only, and it shall be done. He was a Roman. He never read Genesis 1 and 1. But he's getting a hold of this spirit of faith thing, and Jesus turns around and says, Wow. He says, yeah, I know how this works. I'm a centurion. There are people that run me. And I say the word, and brother, they do it. Right. If they know what's good for them. Because that's called authority. And I possess authority. But you know what? There's people also over me. And I know that if they say jump, I'm going to say how high. Because right. I understand authority. And Jesus says, I've never seen such faith. No, not in all of Israel. I've never seen such faith. All the disciples are going, <clears throat> you talking about us? <laughs> you mean this, this Roman guy's got more faith than us? It's a little bit offensive. You know, you think about it. There are different levels of faith. How many want to have great faith this morning? In any relationship, the more you draw near and know them, the greater the mutual trust becomes and deeper the relationship the relationship you have with your spouse, to a large degree, is a faith relationship. How many of you want your, fouth, your spouse excuse me, to stay faithful to you? Amen. It is a faith relationship. And so we need to stay faithful. The relationship has two parties when it comes to God and man in the faith relationship. And I, I want to talk about those two parties and who brings... And they bring two different things to the table. You know, man brings faith to the table towards God, but God brings grace towards man. Draw nigh unto God with your faith, and God will draw nigh unto you with his grace. 
How do we know that? Because look what, you know, it says in Ephesians. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 5, 1 and 2. Ephesians says, for by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace, that's what God gives is salvation, are you saved. Grace, saved, that's what God gives, salvation. For by grace, you're saved. Through faith, that's what we do. So it's through faith, that's what we do to be saved. We bring the faith to the table. God brings the grace to the table. In any covenant in the ancient world between vassals and the suzerainty treaties and, and with kings and vassals and, and the weaker party, the lesser party, and the greater party in a covenant relationship, one brought faith that if I join my forces, my land, to allegiance and solidarity with you, then what you'll join to me is protection and, great, and greater uh, strength uh, to not allow any bad things to happen to you to bring you protection and, and prosperity uh, for you to help you. But the, but the lesser party comes mainly just with, uh, with a covenant that says we, we don't bring as much into this deal, but we're having faith because you're the greater, stronger party that we're going to join ourselves to you, hopefully getting your protection and, and the benefits. And the, and the greater party takes them in and they actually provide more. The lesser, the greater is blessed. Uh, the lesser is blessed of the greater. It says in the Bible. And then when you understand that, that's the type of relationship that we have with God. We're the. How many of you know we're the lesser party? But we've got. We have faith in His grace. He's the greater party. He's the providing party. He's the forgiving party. He's the protecting party. He in that covenant relationship. And see, though, and when you look at those ancient covenants, you you understand. Wow, that really resembles what God does for us. And they're really patterned after that. And so what we bring to the table is we have faith. We're the weak party. We don't have much to bring to the table. We put all our stock in him. But he brings everything to the table for us. Yes. Amen. Turn with me to Romans 5, 1 and 2. And we're, we're going to look at, at uh, how, how we access this grace. This grace is, is at the table. It's already been laid out. It's already been offered to us. You know, all things, you know, it says uh, over there in Peter talks about all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, now here, it says, wherefore he has given unto us, according to his divine power, wherefore he has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us great and precious promises, that by these we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. But there's a precursor to that. That's predicated on the verse that's right before it. And that verse we're going to talk about in just a minute on how you increase your grace. But let me, let me, let me do this because there's, a, there's even a precursor before that that it's predicated on, and it's Romans 5, 1 and 2. Listen. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access. Everybody say access. Now, what do you think of when you think of access? I used to have an access card to get into my apartments. And, you know, most, most of the time it's a key, but I can remember having an access card. And my name was on that card. And, and there was a code on that card. And I would go, it's kind of like when you're at the, at the hotel, but this was in my apartment. And I would put the access card in there, and that card would give me access to go in to where everything I needed was, my bed, my food, my kitchen, my bathroom, my clothes, everything was in there. Everything that I had need of was in my apartment, but I had to be able to access it. Somebody say amen. You see, there is an access to everything that you need. 
and by whom we also have access by faith. Faith is that access card. Turn your hand and say, faith is that access card. By faith into this grace. Wow. How many know grace is everything that you have need of? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Faith begins where the word of God is known. Through the knowledge of him who's called us unto glory and virtue. He's called us to this. He's preordained us to this. He's destined us to this if we'll just cooperate. And so when we look at that, we can see by whom we all have access by grace into, by faith into this grace. Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we access grace. Grace, a lot of people have taken grace and they have uh, done some crazy things with it. And they, they, aren't, they aren't well studied. They, they don't understand what, what grace really is. Grace is really empowerment to live holy, not a license to not live holy, but to live unholy. Now, it does cover us because it, it, it's also the, the power to be forgiven and overcome when you have sinned. Somebody say amen. It's always on a positive note. Don't, don't turn grace into something that, that would lead you to want to live a lascivious and, and, and a wrong type of life. Grace is always empowering us to go bigger and better and further with God. Now, if we do mess up, yes, grace covers that, but grace is not... Don't, don't take something and not use it for its intended purpose. You know, I've worked with people, and, and there's a hammer sitting there, and he'll grab, a guy will grab his crescent wrench and pound the nail in uh, with, with the crescent wrench, and I go... Why don't you use that tool for what it was intended for? Because there's a hammer right there. That hammer would work a lot better. But see, some people want to use grace for what it was not intended for. And it's to cover their sinful life that they're not repenting from. We are called to repent. And I know in the year 2017, that's about as popular as, as having you know your teeth pulled. But... Nobody wants to hear that for some reason, but it's still true anyhow. We are called to turn from things and turn to God. So in turning from evil, you are turning to God. Submit, therefore, to God and resist the devil. Well, submitting to God is resisting the devil. Submitting to God is resisting the devil. Amen. And resisting the devil is turning to God. Some people submit to the devil and resist God. We don't want to do that. We submit, therefore, to God, and that's an automatic resisting the devil. So when, when we walk in grace, that's an automatic victory over sin. Can I get an amen? It's not a failure to, to fall into sin. Now, yes, that can happen. We all have weak moments. We all do. But don't think of it that way. Don't try to use it that way. And In other words, you know, we need to be you know, positive-minded. We need to be forward-thinking that our grace is empowering us to overcome sin before it ever gets into the door, in the door. Amen. All right. I probably harped on that long enough. So it's a relationship between two parties. And in every relationship, we know that one needs to draw close to the other. Romans, 15 tells, Romans 5 tells us that we have access into this grace by faith. Turn with me to Matthew 9 and 28. Here's another example of that that makes it kind of simpler to understand. Because there's two guys that come up and they start asking Jesus if he'll do something for them. And this is that thing where God brings grace uh, to the table. And we bring faith to the table. 
and then supernatural things begin to happen. Matthew 9, 28, and when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus, Jesus saith unto them, believe ye that I am able to do this. What does God desire in the relationship? Faith. That's what God wants from us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What does God desire in this? He doesn't, he doesn't really desire you to provide things for him. He doesn't desire for, for you even uh, to you know, do a bunch of works and, and jump through some hoops and make him happy. No, no, no. You, you'll, you'll start obeying him when you walk in faith. What he really desires from us is faith. That's what he desires from us. And so when these two guys come up to him, when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. Doesn't that sound like Jesus is wanting to see if they have faith in him? Right. Do, do you believe I'm able to do this? But see, what it's contingent upon is this. And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done unto you. He says, do you believe I'm able to do this? But then he says, your faith. How can it be both? Did he do it or did their faith do it? But you got to remember, we both bring two different things to the table. His grace did it because they accessed his grace with their faith. See, it sounds like it, it almost sounds contradictory. Do you believe that I can do this? And then they get healed and he says, your faith did this. See, that's the relationship. One needs the other. Right. See, one brings, God brings grace to the table, but grace isn't going to help anybody who doesn't access it with their faith. Amen. And then man, he comes and he brings faith to the table, and I don't care, he can have faith all day long if there's no grace to receive. How many of you know that's not going to get anything done either? Right. So when we add our faith to his grace, that's when healing occurs that's when people get saved that's when change and supernatural things get released into our lives amen, amen. so it's a relationship we bring the faith he provides the grace and so that that is that's a powerful thing so how do we draw near to god julie and i when we first met the more i knew about her the more i could draw nigh in assurance with a pure heart and draw nigh under with a with faith and full assurance you could apply that very scripture, Hebrews 10.22, to your relationship when you got married. That relationship when you start dating. Can you, can, I mean, maybe you could date somebody you don't know anything about, but I kind of want to know a little bit something about, how many of you have ever seen some of these eHarmony commercials? And the guy looks across the table, this woman's, <laughs> she's crying. He's going, what did you hook me up with? And another guy's sitting there, and the girl, a good-looking guy goes by, and she goes, wow, and she starts walking over to this other guy, and he's like, you take some serious risks when you get on those, those dating things, right? And, of course, you want to find out as much about them as you can. So you have this investigation period where, where you, start, you start figuring out, you know, where do they live? Who are they? What's their name? What, what's their family like? What do they do for a living? You know, have they been married before or, or have they never been married? You know, I, just, I want to make sure, you know, that she's really a girl instead of a man. You know, just minor things. So you kind of want to know some things about that person, right, that you're going to go into a relationship with. Amen. So I, I can remember, you know, and, I, and I've been praying. I just finished Bible school, and every Bible school student 
has only three things on his mind. It's not the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's money, ministry, and marriage. <laughs> and I can remember thinking, I don't have any money. I don't have any ministry offers. You know, you, I, I went through RU, then I went through Rama Bible Training Center, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm a college student. There's just a, you know, I just got done graduating from college, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm praying about money, and I'm praying about ministry, and I'm praying about marriage, and my... And, and, and I'm sitting there literally praying about those three things and the phone rings. I pick it up and my preacher buddy that I haven't talked to for five years, he says, the Lord's been having me pray for you for six weeks. He says, he won't leave me alone. I want to get this off my, it's kind of like, I want to get delivered from this, having to pray for you. I mean, it's just almost like that was his answer. It's like, how about saying hello, how are you? We haven't talked for five years. And he, just like we picked up from the last time five years ago. And he goes, God's been having me pray for you just nonstop. And I go, about what? He says, money, ministry, and marriage. I thought, oh, my gosh. And, and I said, well, praise the Lord. I said, I've been praying about that too. I said, thanks for praying. And then we talked and we laughed. We had a great time and we got caught up and, and all that good stuff. And then and, and shortly after that, I will never forget it. My dad called me. And I'm, I'm planning on move, I'm getting ready to make a move to Dallas, Texas, and I'm, I'm, I'm checking it out. I even drove down there and checked out some churches, and, and apply, I was going to apply at some churches. I've got my degree from Mario, I've got my degree from Rama, and I'm thinking, yeah, I need to just, you know, go to where, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, opportunities in ministry, and so, you know, I'm down there, and I come back, and, and my dad calls up, and he says, you know, hey, how are you doing? And and, and we're just talking, and right before I hang up, he says, oh, yeah. He says, there's this really nice young lady that's been coming to our church. He says, you should really come home and meet her. <laughs> well, first of all, he, he, said, well, he says, are you ever going to get married? <laughs> I was like in my late 20s, and, and I've been in school. You know, all I did was go to school for a good part of my life, and, and so... He says, are you ever going to get married? And he says, are you still dating that one girl? And, and I says, well, we weren't really dating. She's just a friend. We went out on a few dates, but we weren't, like, dating, dating. And then, that, then that's when he, he, and he would tease me horribly. Don't ever tease your kids when they're not married. And he would tease me about that. And, and, and then that's when he said, oh, he says, there's this really wonderful young lady that's going to our church. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, that's your wife. And, and I can remember, and, and then I said something right before the Holy Spirit said that. I said, well, Dad, I guess, and I, and I thought, why, are you trying to matchmake now? Is it getting that bad? My own dad's trying to matchmake here, or what's going on? And, and, I, and I can remember uh, saying, well, I guess it'll just have to be like Eleazar, Dad. You'll just have to find, you know, find a wife for me. And then, then that's when he said, I'm trying to recall all the conversations exactly. I mean, it was only 30 years ago, so... And I said, I guess you'll have to be like Eleazar and have to go find, you know, a Rebecca for me, you know. And, and uh, he says, oh, and then that's what brought memories. Oh, yeah, he says, there's this really nice girl. And then the Holy Spirit said, that's your wife. I'm thinking, I don't know anything about her, Lord. I at least want to see her. <laughs> she looks like. And, and I hang up and I go, Darren, my roommate, who's sitting there. Now, we're down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is up in Iowa. You know, I'm talking to my dad. He lives in Iowa. He lives about an hour north of here. And, and, uh, and I'm sitting there, and I turned to my roommate. I said, I, I just had the weirdest conversation. 
And the weirdest thing just happened to me. And I told him, you know, I talked to my dad and I told him everything. And then my dad said, yeah, you know, you need to meet this girl. And uh, this girl by the name of Julie Copeland is going, you know, to my brother-in-law's church. He goes, yeah, I know her. Now, what are the chances of your roommate in Tulsa, Oklahoma, knowing the girl that God just said is going to be your wife? I thought, that, this is really getting weird. And so I, I, I started talking, and he starts telling me all about Julie. Oh, yeah, I know that family. They're a great family. And my sister, you know, they tried to hook us up on a date, but it just never happened for some reason. And uh, he started telling me all about her. Wow, that's really strange. And so then, you know, so my dad tells me about her. Now Darren Bell tells me all about her. Then some people that I lived with for a season, they they told me, this couple by the name of Sparky and Betty, and they started telling me all about her. People at church started telling My pastor back home started telling me all about her. And, you know, I felt almost like I knew her before I met her. And, you know, I'll tell you what. Relationship, knowledge is the basis of relationship. Turn with me to first, Second Peter 2. Turn to Second Peter quickly. Knowledge is important. You need to know those who labor among you. You need to know what the Word of God says. You need to know all the promises of God that are yes and amen. We need to know Him. You know, Paul said, I consider all my Jewish credentials as dung. You know, I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am a Pharisee according to the the law, I know that much, folks. I can quote the entire Pentateuch, uh, and I consider it all manure. To, and I would rather just be able to know him. Amen. Remember that over there in Philippians? See, that knowing him, that's the basis of faith, is you have to come to know him. That's the important part of faith. Look what it says. The word knowledge comes from the word know. You all know how you spell knowledge, right? It starts with no, <laughs> to know, to know, to know something. Look what it says, 2 Peter 1, verse 2, grace and peace. Everybody say grace. grace. How many want your grace multiplied? Grace automatically produces peace. So really, grace is the issue. Grace and peace gets added onto it. Grace and peace be multiplied. Not added, multiplied. How many of you would rather have your money multiplied than just added to? Multiply. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There has to be knowledge before there can be grace. God does not bless ignorance. Sorry. God says, I would not have you be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. He says, do not be children in understanding. It talks about the simpleton. It talks about the fool. It talks about, but God calls us to seek after knowledge because it's better than silver and gold. Somebody say amen. amen. Knowledge multiplies grace in your life. That's why we have SMTI. 
That's why we have an in-house Bible college. That's why we have children's church. That's why we have classes and, and, and life groups. That's why we do what we do is we're trying to increase your knowledge because we want you to increase your grace. So the question is, how does knowledge increase our grace? And let's read just a little bit further. It says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now here we go, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge, everybody say knowledge. knowledge. See, faith works by knowledge. Through, uh, faith begins where the word of God is known. There's that word know, known, knowledge. Life and godliness through the knowledge of him has called us unto glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. All the promises of God are yes and amen. That by these he might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. The divine nature is when you become sanctified, when you become renewed in your mind. When you've put your flesh under, you start operating in supernatural spiritual things. And so knowledge is what has, How many of you know in Hosea 4, 6 says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge? My people perish for a lack of knowledge. And then when you get knowledge, it multiplies grace. How do we get knowledge? Through these great and precious promises, it says. Through the knowledge of him. And so knowledge, so, so now that makes Romans 10 and 17 make sense. Because what does Romans 10 and 17 say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So grace is multiplied through knowledge. Grace multiplied through knowledge. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith, when faith gets increased, doesn't grace get increased because we access grace with our faith? So we access our grace with our faith. And faith comes by hearing, and it says hearing by the word of God. Or you could say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the knowledge of God. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing. Faith doesn't come by praying for it. Faith doesn't come by doing good works. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. And what is the word of God? The word of God is the knowledge of God that we have given to us. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the knowledge of God or the word of God. Faith comes through knowledge of God. Faith comes by knowledge of God. If you know God, you have faith in him. In a relationship, you will have faith in your husband or your wife when you have knowledge. When you have knowledge that maybe somebody tried to seduce your spouse and they said no, and your neighbor told you that. When you find out that your spouse has been buying you gifts behind your back and and been doing good things for you that you don't even know about. The the more knowledge, you, you find out that your spouse is telling everybody else how much that they love you. But when you start finding out these, these knowledge of things that you aren't just immediately privy to, but then you find it out, what it does is it gives you more faith in your relationship. Somebody say amen. amen. See, when you find out that your spouse has always been faithful, you find out at work that your spouse cares, talks about you all the time. You find out all these things, you, you start get, gathering knowledge, and you start having faith. And you start drawing near in that relationship. Now, what happens if you go to work and you find out that your spouse has been having an affair on you? Does your faith in them decrease? But, you know, our spouse that 
Jesus, you know, we're the bride, how many know we're the bride of Christ? He's the groom. And when I read the Bible, I find out he'd never be faithful to us. So I think I can put my full faith in him. Somebody say amen. Grace increases with knowledge. Knowledge causes your faith to work because faith works by knowledge or faith comes by hearing the word, which is knowledge. And then you begin to access grace through knowledge. You multiply knowledge and you multiply your grace. Amen. So when we understand that, that's really powerful. Okay, the last component of the relationship. Galatians 5, 6. Everybody turn there. Faith works by love. We're talking about how the faith relationship works. The faith relationship works by love. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, we'll explain that. Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything other works, you know, that's law, nor uncircumcision. But faith which worketh by love. Faith works by love. See, it's really a love relationship. You know, Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy strength, with all thy heart, and with all thy mind. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that God so loved the world, and we know that the great command is, Thou so love the Lord thy God with all thy strength, with all thy mind, with all thy might, with all thy heart. So it's a, it's a love rela- faith is a love relationship. Somebody say amen. amen. It's a loving relationship that God loves us. He first loved us so we can put our trust and love him. You know, it's hard to love somebody that you know doesn't love you. If you, find, you, know, if, if you found out that your spouse cheated on you or something like that, it's, it, it's really hard. It'd be really hard. To lo- I mean, you could. You could forgive me and you can get that right. And, that, and God makes provision for that. But it's harder. It's, it's a lot harder. But when you know that your spouse loves you, it's easy to love them. How many of you know the Bible says that we are the accepted into the beloved in Ephesians 1.6? The number one bit of knowledge that we need to have to have a faith relationship in the knowledge is that we have the knowledge that God loves us. If you know that God loves you, you can have faith. Turn with me to Ephesians 1.6, and then we're going to go to 1 John 4.16. You've got to mark these in your Bible. If you get to feeling low and you be, begin to wonder about things. and To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted into the beloved. Well, I tell you, if, you, if you're having a bad day and, and you're feeling rejected by people, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Wow. We praise the glory of his grace. His grace is pretty glorious, folks, and it's worthy of our praise. Ephesians 1.6, the praise to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted into the beloved. He made you accepted no matter how you feel, no matter what people say, no matter what you do. He made you the accepted into the beloved. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He rose from the dead. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He rose victorious. And he has made us the accepted into the beloved. He has done that. Now, how do we make sure our faith is going to work? How do we get a deeper grasp on that? Well, turn to the word. When you keep studying the word, you keep getting that reinforced. You, you keep learning how much that God loves you. You keep realizing God's love and his goodness towards you. 
And it says there in 1 John 4, in verses 16 through 19, a wonderful portion of Scripture. And it says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. You've known it, and that you've experienced it, and therefore you believed it. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. It's a love relationship. Herein is our love made perfect, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. How many of you want to have a boldness? Our love made perfect, and that we may have boldness. How many want to have boldness to go into the throne room of grace? That's strong faith. That's just another way of saying you want strong faith. There is no fear in love. Say, there's no fear in love. Your Heavenly Father, you have no reason to fear Him unless you rebel and, become, and, and, and work against Him. But from His point of view, you have no reason to fear Him. You only have reason to fear yourself if you get foolish enough to, to turn away from Him. So, so you know... The only fear that we have is the fear is fear itself. The only problem that you have is in yourself. You have no reason to fear God because he already died on the cross and forgave up all of our sins and has invited you to receive it by faith. It's, the thing you better fear is that you get backwards, upside down, stupid some way to reject that. Somebody say amen. And not receive that in this life that he gives us. So we can see here that it says that perfect love, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear has torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You see, you know, when you know that you want somebody to heal you, you're going to go to somebody that you know loves you. If you need somebody to forgive you, you're wanting to go to someone that you know loves you. If you need some money and some help in life, uh, you're going to go to someone that you know loves you. If you're sure that he loves you, you know he'll be your provider. You, you, you know that he'll be your healer, your helper, your advocate, your, your intercessor, uh, your comforter and your counselor, your standby, your strengthener. He, he'll become all those things. He'll become the Lord God, uh, your Jehovah Jireh. He'll become... You're, you know, the God that healeth thee, the God that is more than enough. He'll become all those Hebrew, the seven Hebrew names. He'll become all these things. But first, you got to know, does he really love me? Because all you, all you really got to do is get past the does he love me factor. And then everything that he has, you know, he'll give you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Just like you would for your children that you love. So the real issue is that the only real issue that makes faith work is, does he love me? Because if he loves me, I know he'll give me, he'll help me, he'll, train, he'll even discipline me because really the highest form of love is disciplining us. And he'll do all those things for me because he loves me. Because if you don't know that he loves you, you will always doubt whether he might really do it for you. Somebody say amen. We're talking about the faith relationship. And the way that you know that he loves you is through knowledge, through what the Bible says. You start knowing that he loves you. See, 
The Bible says in Proverbs 10, 24, it says, The fear of the wicked shall come upon them, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted unto them. How many know the fear of the wicked will come upon them? The fear of the wicked is, the fear is actually a faith in bad things that will happen. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in him there's no variableness or shadow of turning. So every good gift comes from God. And every bad thing comes from the devil. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus came to my have life more abundantly. So some people have faith in bad things happening. That's called fear. Fear is a perverted, twisted faith in the devil, unknowingly in the devil, but that bad things are going to happen. Well, we know that all bad things that happen come from the devil, so whether they know it or not, their, fear, their faith is in the devil. Because they're believing the bad things are going to happen. That's what fear is. Worry is a meditative fear. That's why it's called sin. Without faith, it's impossible. He's got worry is a meditative form of fearing. It's wondering and fearing the bad things that might happen. Faith is a belief that the good things are going to happen. Why? Because good things come from whom? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. Good things come from God. So if you're believing for good things to happen, you're having faith in God, not faith in the devil. How many are believing for good things to happen? The path of the righteous grows brighter every day, not darker. And so when we have faith, and see, what you got to do is you got to know that perfect love casts out all fear. When you get rid of your fear, because what's fear? Fear is faith in the devil. Fear is faith that something bad's going to happen. Perfect love casts out all what? Perfect love casts out all what? Fear. And what is fear? Faith in the devil. You could say, perfect love casts out all faith in the devil. Perfect love casts out all faith in the devil. It casts it out. Because you cannot have fear and you cannot have faith at the same time. You either have fear, excuse me, you either have faith in God or you have faith in the devil. Because you either have faith or fear, and fear is really faith in the devil. And so you can't have faith in God and faith in the devil at the same time. But when you know God's love, it casts out all fear, which is what? Faith in the devil. See, when you understand the love of God, your faith will begin to work. 